Hello, everyone. Welcome back to week three of our Mastermind Weekly sessions. Uh, we have Mike Lisecki here again to host. Uh, we're going to be chatting a little bit about budgeting, mast mastery, and uh, just why budgeting matters for, for your company. So um, let us know in the comments where you guys are uh, tuning in from. Uh, would love to hear um, your experiences on, on budgeting issues. So, um, Mike, I'll leave it off to you. I'll hop off screen and uh, looking forward to, to learning a little bit more. Perfect. Thanks. Um, yeah. Thanks, Brittany. And thanks, everybody, for taking half an hour here today to join us. We're going to try to keep it. I've been unsuccessful in the first two at keeping it to only half an hour. We'll do our best at doing this one. That. Having said that, bottom right-hand corner, there's a chat button. There's a questions button. Feel free to um, put anything you need in there as we go along. Um, I will try to make uh, questions enough time for answering questions as we go. Uh, and if we don't get to all the questions during, we'll send out answers after. So even if we don't get to your question, um, we'll go through after. Sometimes we just have too many questions to get through in half an hour. So it's happened twice in a row, probably happened this time. Um, but don't, don't be shy to put your questions in there anyway. It logs everything automatically for us. We can grab the questions after this is over. And anybody who we didn't get to during this 30 minute session, we'll get to uh, just after. Okay. Uh, want to start this, want to start by setting the context for this 30 minutes. So what is it about? We're, we're really talking about why budgeting matters, how to use it at a couple of different levels in your company to drive better outcomes for the company um, and how budgeting plays a key role in that. So it's not about necessarily how to budget. That's going to come up soon. So, uh, in January, for example, we'll be having quite a few hands-on tactical virtual budget webinars. I'll be leading a bunch of them um, uh, where we can get into the nitty gritty details. So we're not really gonna go through today, 30 minutes of how to build a budget. We're gonna go through a little bit of how to build a budget, but a lot more of like, well, what do I get out of a budget? How can I use it? What should I be thinking about as I'm building a budget so that I can make sure I get the most out of it by the end? And as I said, Next, especially in January, we will really ramp up talking about how to build it to get the most out of it. So first of all, what's a budget? Well, primarily, it's the answers to the questions that keep owners and managers up at night. Um, lots and lots and lots of small businesses, way beyond landscaping, but just small businesses in general. They've got a decent business plan and a good market, but the day-to-day -day decisions of those business are mostly based on gut instinct. And for sure, if you're listening to this webinar, that gut instinct has got you this far. So it's not like it's wrong and you're sitting here today because you have good instincts. Hey, there's a bunch of companies that don't have good instincts and they're not here today. Um, but you're certainly here. And it's not to say that gut instincts are incorrect, but they are stressful, right? You make big decisions. They're risky don't really know the outcome, don't quite know how to make the decisions. In some cases, you stop yourself from making good decisions because they seem too risky. In other cases, maybe you make a decision that's not necessarily the right decision, which is going to happen, but not necessarily because we didn't think about it, but because we didn't quite understand the whole financial impact of it. And then all kinds of decisions will solve, or the budget will help solve, put numbers to, 
the decisions that do drive that internal turmoil. Um, and then oftentimes we've heard the turmoil that can then spread to perhaps spouses, especially when both spouses are involved in managing the business or even owners and managers, when there starts to become a disconnect between, well, why are we doing this if we're also doing this and the budget doesn't quite line up with how we're acting or our goals don't quite line up how we're acting. The budget gives us a context, a framework, and most importantly, a financial plan to make all those decisions more responsibly and better informed. I'm going to give away the answers, but it is going to tell us, well, if this happens and we're going to assume that this happens and then it's going to have this impact on the bottom line. So when we do things like set our sales goals, obviously it's super important that whatever sales goal we set is profitable, like vitally important, maybe the most important thing you can do at the beginning of every year. But at the same token, a lot of companies set sales goals without considering the impact on the rest of the company. And what I mean by that is, well, we have a sales goal. We want to grow by, say, 25% this year, as an example. Great. And that is a goal. But now, how are we going to get there? How are we going to get there profitably? How many crews do I need to add to get there, if any? Do I need any investments in the shop? Is it, should I be hiring a salesperson? Like a ton of different questions that never stop. As you grow, those questions just get bigger and bigger. So at the beginning, right, it's like, well, how am I going to grow by 20%? Well, I've got to do more sales meetings, I guess, spend a bit more on marketing and whatever. And at the beginning of your company, you might not even need another crew to do 20% more work. But as you get into like a $10 million company, you're absolutely going to need more crews to do 20% more work. You're also probably going to need some other things, some overhead investment, whatever. Understanding how the sales and what we have to invest at the end of the day come out profitable is vital to understanding whether 20% is the right number or whether it should be more or whether it should be less. From our sales goal, then we set up a hiring plan, which is probably the second most important thing we can set up, right? Once I've got a sales goal, I need to know how many people will it take for us in the, in the field to deliver that sales goal while still maintaining our profitability. And so with the budget, we can A, set that up and make sure. And it's shocking how many companies maybe don't think of that. And we know this from doing the budgets and, um, myself, especially, I taught over 5,000 contractors in the same room budgeting and thousands, you know, would set up a sales goal and then have a crew goal that wouldn't align. Some people didn't increase their crews at all and sort of artificially thought that or didn't even think about how would this crew get that amount of work done or this set of crews get that amount of work done. It's not realistic. And on the flip side, we've seen other things, a very small increase in sales, but they're adding a whole other crew. Well, that doesn't work out either. Making sure those two are in balance are vitally important. And one of the tools that can help you get there when we're doing the crew budget is that field labor ratio up in the top hand, uh, right hand corner. That'll help you benchmark yourself year over year. Also help benchmark you against other companies that do a similar mix of work with you. And just so you know that upper right hand corner labor ratio, what that means is, what percent of our sales are we spending on wages for the crews in the field, the people that do the work? And that's a benchmark that's actually surprisingly consistent across like all the way from Canada down to Florida. Um, and certainly the economics in different states and areas changed the game a bit. Like Florida has way cheaper prices, but also way cheaper wages than you would find in say Massachusetts. But at the same time, the ratio actually is surprisingly consistent. So it's a great way to start when you're building your budget, making sure that you're in balance both with your own history 
but also with profitable companies that do a similar mix of work as you. Um, next thing, obviously, we want to make sure we've got a right around of equipment. I mentioned earlier, this can solve spouses. Just anecdotally, one of the biggest arguments spouses seem to have is, should I be buying equipment or not? And the justification of that sort of falls apart. It's like, no, 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 we need it because there's this gut instinct, right? And somebody else saying, no, 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 we can't afford it because I know what's left in the bank at the end of the month. And then there's that conflict. And so sometimes it means we don't buy the equipment to our own detriment, right? We could be more productive. We could have got work done faster with it. And on the other side, sometimes we buy equipment that we really don't need and now we're over-equipped and we don't get enough use out of it to drive enough revenue. The budget helps, the equipment budget helps solve that, right? How do we, we, you'll have a range of equipment that you should spend on a percentage of your sales. So we know we're in that range that's healthy. So that's a good first gut check. And then the second gut check is, okay, I'm buying equipment. It's going to cost X. It's going to make us more productive. Okay, well, how much more productive? And then when I've got that accounted for in the sales goal, we can look at investments like that far more responsibly and as a big picture, right? When we buy equipment, it's not just a cost. It's an increase in sales because we're going to get more work done. It might be a decrease in labor because we can get work done with the equipment instead of with laborers or temporary labor, for example. So um, it's it's a it's a multi-pronged problem. And the best way to solve it is to look at all those prongs and then make a right decision. Overhead planning is another big one. And so one of the questions that keep people up at night most often is, do I have the right price for the job? <clears throat> And then there's lots of other questions I'll get to in a minute, but that certainly is the bigger one. And to get the right price for the job, if you're listening to this webinar, my assumption is that you're already pretty good at coming up with how much labor and how much equipment and how much materials and how much subs is it going to cost us to do this work. What the big gray point is, is overhead, right? How do I know that I've got enough of my non-estimated expenses covered in every job that I price? And the only way you can be sure of that is through the overhead budget. So the overhead, to put it in more simple terms, is like, these are all my non-estimated costs. Your other stuff, labor, equipment, materials, and subs, those are my estimated costs. And so once we understand my estimated costs are X, so my non-estimated costs, or your overhead costs are Y, you can figure out, well, how do I mark up these costs of X so that they total Y, which means we have a pricing system, no overhead recovery system that'll that'll solve all that. So that's the biggest advantage to your overhead budget. It makes sure that when you bid jobs, you know that, well, my costs for labor and equipment and materials are all covered because I've done it this way. And I know that I've got the right amount of overhead bid into everything I do because I've built a, an overhead plan for the year and this budget's in line with that plan. Or this budget's gonna give me the numbers I need to recover that. Um, benchmarking is a big one as well. Oh, and then to be, go beyond that actually, to continue overhead, right? Not only is it overhead recovery, but there's also a lot of decisions that come along with overhead that I would argue are even harder decisions than things like, do I hire more crews or do I add more equipment? Overhead decisions, because they don't have a direct impact on field production, like it, like a piece of equipment or like a new uh, laborer would, they're a little bit harder to pull the trigger on, right? Is it the right time to hire an admin full-time or an accounting person or uh, renovate my shop and yard? These things are bigger uh, questions and they don't directly get recovered on jobs. So how do I know I can afford this without messing up my company's profitability? Because on the surface, it just looks like a cost. Right? Building this helps us build a plan that makes sure that our overhead stays in line with our growth of sales, that we can afford both and still be profitable and can also give you the confidence when you do need to make those decisions, 
because you often need to uh, make that decision before you actually can afford it, if that makes sense. So for example, when you're hiring a salesperson or an admin, because you're really busy, you probably need to make that decision just before you can actually afford it. Like if you were to take a new salesperson or admin on that day, you're probably losing money, but that person's not going to be just there for today. They're going to help you grow again and they'll be, they'll be enough to help you grow. Now question is, well, how much do I need to grow by to be able to afford this person and still be as profitable as I am today? It's exactly what the answer you're going to get out of your overhead budget. And the same thing goes for bigger expenses as well. So then benchmarking this budget along the way is also really helpful. One of the questions that you know, comes up most often, or I would say one of the benefits that comes up most often of things like trade shows and, and uh, association events is the peer networking, the sitting down at a table and talking people. And the budget gives us a little microcosm of that in that each and every budget has a ratio. So as we're going along, we're also looking at, well, what are profitable companies that have a similar mix of work at, um, as me? spending on on their budgets and on their equipment and on their overhead so that you've got sort of some uh you don't have necessarily a black and white right answer but you certainly have a target that you can shoot for you go okay as long as i'm in or close to this i am close to what my peers who are like me that are making money are spending which is affirming and again helps you helps you sleep better at night take some of the stress off running a business when you're trying to do everything from gut instinct and then i would say number six one of the other questions is like uh, being able to plan for scenarios, right? What would what would my company look like if I did hire a salesperson this year that I don't have today, right? How far would we need to grow and et cetera, et cetera? We don't necessarily need to do those decisions to build a budget. We can build a budget before we make those decisions to see how profitable or not profitable we'll be if this happens. So yes, we can hire a salesperson. But that salesperson we would also expect to sell, right? Add revenue. Well, how much revenue does that salesperson need to add to get me back to the profit I'm at today or to get me to where the profit is that I want to get to? Well, that's the question we're going to get the answer to. Um, we can also do scenario planning, like we blow the doors off our sales goal this year. What if we have a recession this year and we have 25% less sales, right? What does my company look like in that scenario? And that's going to happen. Both those scenarios are going to happen one day, hopefully. Uh, more of the growth than the than the recession, but you know, one day there'll be a recession. Well, how is your business going to respond? What can you reduce if you're going to lose 25% of sales? How can you react in the rest of your company to ensure that even if you're not making a ton of profit that year, that you're surviving? That you know, in a worst case scenario, that you can get by with zero percent profit, but you're not going out of business and you're keeping your best people around and you're waiting till that cycle comes back around and then you're ready to go with all your best people to stay on top of it. Hey, Mike, I got a few questions already here for you. Awesome. Um, the first is um, maybe could you could you explain like how throughput and capacity um, like are, are calculated? Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, so we're not looking at it right now on the analysis screen, but on the on the or sorry, we're not looking at the analysis screen here, but it is on the analysis screen of the budget. There's two numbers that you might not be intimately familiar with. They're a little different than accounting. One is throughput and one is capacity. I'll start with capacity because it's a bit easier. Capacity is how much work could you be doing in this budget if you were working at 100% efficiency? And how we calculate that is, well, your crews are in there with hours. So if we build or we were able to earn X amount an hour with all that revenue, with all those hours at 100%, 
which is unlikely, right? But at 100, we're talking about theoretical capacity here. What would that look like? Okay, so we've got labor. So if you took your labor hours from your budget, you multiplied it by your average billable rate, there's how much we should be getting in labor revenue. Same thing for equipment, right? We take our equipment costs, we add our overhead and our profit markup. How much should I get in equipment revenue? We take all our material costs, we add overhead, we add profit, all according to your budget. That's how much revenue you should earn from your materials. And then same with subs. And so your company capacity number is if you were operating at 100%, you were doing everything that you estimated on time. This is how much revenue you would earn. And then if you're more than your capacity, it's probably an unrealistic budget. And I've seen it happen a bunch. So there's a gut check there. If you're less than your capacity, it's an interesting number to watch. And ultimately, you want to watch that improve. While I was operations at TBG, we saw that number go from about 78% when I started up to like 94% by the time um, I went full-time at LMN. And what that means is we had an incredible more revenue without actually increasing costs or overhead. So the company became a lot more profitable. People were able to make more money, all that good stuff. Uh, throughput, a little more complicated, but throughput's an interesting number. So one of the numbers that we'll look at in our budget is revenue per hour. How much revenue, and, and or we'll look at it at our budget, but also at every estimate, how much revenue per hour. The calculation is super simple. Take the price of the job divide it by the number of hours we estimate on the job, that's that job's estimated revenue per hour. You can do the same thing with the actual effort. Just revenue divided by hours. And that's what you're getting with your budget as well. Throughput is that, but it's a bit nuanced. So one of the, one of the downsides of that is, well, if I have a lot of subs, then my revenue per hour looks uh, really good, even though it's not amazing because most of that is subs. Subs give us revenue without any labor hours. The other side of that is what if I have some really, really expensive materials that have very, very small markups on? Same problem, right? I get a lot of revenue because the materials are expensive, but we don't make much profit. So throughput takes away those variables by doing this. It's going to look at what your revenue is minus what you set, what you give away back to your vendors. So that would be equipment rentals, subs, and material costs. So what you're then looking at is retained revenue. This is revenue after I've paid my vendors for the job that we've just did. This is the revenue I have left to spend on my own labor, equipment, overhead, et cetera. That's your throughput. And maximizing your throughput or finding jobs that deliver the most throughput are like unlocking the code to finding the jobs that generate you the most retained revenue per hour of field labor invested. And why that's so important is because we only have so many field labor hours. Um, that's the hardest thing to find is good crews, right? So we want to maximize the effectiveness of the crews we do have by maximizing their throughput and throughput per hour when you're looking at estimates. Amazing. Um, Mark was also asking, uh, could you tell us the numbers for, for the ratios? Uh, yes, but the numbers change depend on, uh, so yes, and almost everyone off my head, but they're totally different depending on the amount of work you do. So, uh, Mark, I'll give you some examples. A design build, uh, landscape companies, labor ratio typically goes between 22 and 25%. Now the lower, the more profitable. So really, really good companies operate around 22 average companies, about 25 design build. Uh, maintenance is totally different. Maintenance, because it has far less materials and a lot more labor, means that their labor ratio, and then usually a lot less revenue, right? Because maintenance, you're only billing for labor, not 
labor and a whole bunch of materials installed. So your ratio of labor is a lot different on a maintenance than it would be for design build. So maintenance uh, uh, typically goes somewhere between 30 and 40%. I realize that's a big range, depending on how you define maintenance. If, if it's mostly just mowing, you're gonna be probably closer to 40. If you do, if your maintenance division does a lot of enhancement work, you're probably gonna be closer to 30. So they do some mulch installations and that kind of stuff. So that, unfortunately that same, applies to everything right material ratios well they're widely different between design build and maintenance but as you go through the lmn budget and you start pumping your numbers in there those numbers will tell you exactly what yours is because the first thing you do when you set a budget is tell it what mix of work that you have i'm sorry it tells you what yours is compared to what peers like you based on a similar mix of work excellent okay so I'll move on. The next, uh, the next thing is like, well, how else can we use a budget? And the, the other thing is like, and this is applies more to larger companies, but let's break your budget down by divisions. So everything I just said, but now breaking it down by divisions so that each division has a sales goal, a hiring plan, um, and a, an equipment cost recovery plan, an overhead recovery plan, and can benchmark those ratios we were just talking about for a specific division. So I wouldn't generally recommend this until you hit about the, I don't know, four or 5 million markets. It's an arbitrary number. You might decide to do this earlier. You might decide to do this later, but that's about when companies really start treating uh, a division on its own. When that division could almost stand on its own two feet as its own company, that's where companies start to think about, maybe I should be splitting my company up by division. Um, and so, this is just another way so we can set up we can still set a company budget let's get our overall profitability in line now let's break that into two budgets let's take x amount of uh um our sales goals and apply it to each one the staff to run each one the equipment to run each one overhead's a little more arbitrary or subjective right we are we can split overhead by you know some companies do it by date some companies do it by uh, mix of work. Some companies do it by revenue, although it's a harder one to do, right? Just because design build has a lot more revenue doesn't because you'd have all those materials that you're selling doesn't mean that it needs more overhead. Those materials are actually generally easy to manage. And on the flip side, maintenance is a lot of labor, which is generally harder to manage. So I'd almost argue the opposite is true. Maintenance should carry a higher burden of overhead. It's more trucks, it's more equipment, it's more people per dollar earned than design build, you could certainly argue that you should have more overhead and maintenance than in design build, but maybe not as well. It all depends on your company, but separating those things, looking at each division as a whole, making sure each division's running profitably, that's really the benefit to a divisional budget. And then the budget I'm, I think had one of the most instrumental differences in TBG was the crew budget. <clears throat> what Mark would do after he built the company budget then we'd split the company budget by division. Then we'd take that division budget and market split it down by crews and teach or taught, I should say, and taught crews with the budget as a visual tool of why your goal. So we would set production goals for the crews, right? We could calculate if, for example, I'll give you an example using the number I just talked about. So we said best in class companies are around 22% of labor or 22% labor ratio, which means their wages are about 22% of what their revenue should be. So that made it really easy to set a crew revenue goal. We would add up that crew's wages. So this person is a foreman and then two general laborers, whatever the crew is, divide that number by 0.22. So that's getting your 22% of, 
and that's your revenue goal. So great, we'd set the revenue goal, we'd set that, we'd add the cruise equipment in there. We would not necessarily show the crews what overhead is or what uh, what uh, all their materials would be. We don't know what kind of jobs they're doing on, but we know the ratios. So we could set that up for them. Then we walk them through. This is your production goal. This is what we this is what your wages cost as a total. This is what your equipment costs. We could walk them through what their equipment costs using the calculators. Here's how much we spend on materials to deliver this much sales. Here's what your overhead recovery has to be. This pays to keep the lights on, to keep Mike employed, me, to keep the rent of the shop, all that kind of marketing or whatever. And this is what's left over for the company. And typically it's not a lot, right? 10, 15%, something like that is the norm for what's left over. So that just told the crew like, A, here's what we're going to, here's why your goal is what it is for production. And here's the economics behind everything else. Now, how do we both make more money? We've got to find a way to improve our production without adding a whole lot of costs. And so now that the crew saw the numbers behind this, they also got motivated because then what Mark did after that was introduce to them how we were going to share in the money over and above their goal. And so that gave the crews the incentive to go beat their production goals without increasing the costs of doing the work, which means doing a whole bunch of overtime isn't going to be the answer. Doing a whole bunch of work really quickly and crappily, so we had to go back and fix it, isn't the answer. Because if they went back and fix it, what's happening? They're working for no revenue. That's not going to get you past your revenue goals. It's actually hurting you from hitting your revenue goals. Getting them understanding like their crews are a little business within Mark's business ultimately unlocked a huge increase in productivity for us. And very long term, Mark ended up selling the company to some of the best crews that operated. So when Mark divested himself of his landscape company, who took over? Three of our best foremen. So uh, just a, a neat story how that all kind of evolved and and uh, and turned into, it started from running a little business within a business and evolved all the way to them actually running the business that they started as a piece of. Um, yeah, super cool stuff. Uh, why it matters, why all this stuff matters is, well, because now out of this, these plans, not necessarily your crew plan, but certainly out of your company plan and possibly out of your division plan comes your profitable pricing, right? One of the biggest, the two biggest things that you need to do to make profit are to price jobs right and to get them done on time. It's, and if you're going to boil it down to the most simplest factors, that's it. And so this is going to ensure in a way, kind of both. Their budgets can help ensure both. First of all, that we've got the right price. It's absolutely ensuring that. Way better than anything else you can possibly do. So if you don't have a budget, there's just no way you can actually know what your overhead recovery should be and how it changes over time. So you need a budget to be able to make sure that you've got every job priced right. And the calculators in Elements price list and the budget markups that it inherits on every estimate is going to give you that confidence. The second confidence or the second factor that I said is, and you got to get them done on time, is actually also greatly enhanced by the crew budget. We can give our crews an incentive system to get it done. They're far more likely to get it done versus getting paid by the hour when their incentive is to just work a lot of hours, right? That's actually the opposite thing that we really want. We don't mind working a lot of hours necessarily so long as they're generating a lot of revenue. And just working hours right now is how most crews are incentivized which is not enough. Um, massive return on investment for budgeting. So budgeting typically takes companies about eight hours a year. They start their budget. You might be a budget 
aficionado and spend more than that. And that's, that's really cool. I greatly encourage it, but to do a company budget and to do it really well, generally it takes companies about eight hours. Um, it gets faster after every year because you can just copy last year and tweak. So first year, maybe eight, maybe even longer, eight to 12 hours, second, third, fourth year, you can do it in two or less. Um, but it ensures accurate cost recovery of our things like equipment that are hard to know that I've got the right daily or hourly cost for also your overhead. It can help eliminate unprofitable worker jobs, which just anecdotally, on average, I see about 30% of work and maintenance priced unprofitably. That's a massive problem when a third of your jobs aren't contributing to your bottom line. And imagine how much more profitable you would be if you could replace those third with a third that are contributing to the bottom line. Um, so just unlocking that's huge. And then ultimately unlocking crew motivation and accountability and clarity. I'm saying here that that kind of thing can generate 20 to 40,000 a year in extra revenue earned per crew per year. And how might I get that? There's a spreadsheet that we used to pull up in the workshops a while ago, and I've taken a piece of it and sort of shared it here. But look, if we unload and load our trucks faster in the morning and every week, not every day, every week we save half an hour. So, you know, it's not even it's like seven minutes a day we could save getting out of the yard in the morning. That actually, that time is A, multiplied by say three, because it's three person in the crew. And if we were to spend that time actually at the job, we'd be getting our jobs done that little bit faster every day. But at the end of the year, 40 week year of production, that adds up to about $7,500. If you can reduce your trips back to the shop and trips to vendors by an hour a week, what's one hour each week? So that's 40 hours. $15,000 worth of revenue that we could capture. Fixing defects, fixing warranty work, correcting, working in the right order of operations. If we can get a crew's head around and motivation around generating as much revenue as I can by eliminating the mistakes and waste that we have over here, including just incentivizing them correctly, then the ability to unlock 20 to 40,000 per crew per year, is actually pretty easy. The upside is way greater than that. And I can certainly tell you, we saw it. Our average, our average revenue per person grew from 96,000 per person per year to about 184,000 per person per year. This was one of the biggest tools in doing that. Brittany, I'll pause here for any questions. I know I'm getting short on time already. Timing, um, I, I got two here. Uh, the first is coming in from, from Amanda. She um she's asking can the system be used as a per unit pricing versus time and material and overhead pricing uh, the different uh way of configuring estimates and budgets does that make any uh, sense yeah, yeah yeah so can you do it on per unit pricing i mean sure you just have to manually adjust things like labor so to say that things are priced per unit is one of the problems that that um actually contributes to a lack of productivity or profitability. So for example, I can you got two shrubs and they're both, uh, let's say four foot shrubs, right? One's $20. It's like a dogwood or something super native and common around your area. One's a Japanese maple, it might cost $200. Well, it takes the same time to plant those. And so understanding not just a unit price on, hey, we charge this for the shrub. So what a lot of people do in that example is we take the cost of the shrub, we multiply it by three, which is like, fine, you can do that. Um, but that doesn't help us understand, well, how much of that is overhead? And it really doesn't help us understand, do we have enough or too much 
labor built into that cost. And what I can promise you is you probably don't have enough in the cheap thing, and you probably have too much in the really expensive thing. But what that has an impact of doing is making your company more likely to win work with really cheap stuff and less likely to win work with really expensive stuff, which is exactly the opposite. We want our crews to be installing the most expensive stuff. And so I need to be priced right for the expensive stuff. So, I mean, the short answer to the question, I already made it a long answer, is like, yeah, you can you can do it, but it kind of it's counterintuitive to everything that we just sort of went through, which is like, hey, we need to know how long this takes. The other thing is, how do I incentivize my crews with unit pricing? It's kind of hard. If I incentivize my crews and say, you have six hours to do this work, that's a number they can get behind. If I say, you need to get this work done in one third of the cost of the plant or price of the plant, it's not not the same. There's no way they can drive their, their behavior off that. Amazing. I hope and I got that right. If I, didn't, if I didn't get that right, Amanda, please like go ahead and follow up with another question. I probably won't get to it in this webinar, but we can send you something after. Absolutely. Yeah, we can follow up with you, Amanda. Um, and last question is, uh, out of curiosity, how did the bonus structure work for, for your crews at TBG? All right. Longer question, but I'll try to make it as short as possible. We set a production goal based on the budgets I just talked about. At the As the year went on, we took their invoices, LMN does this, assigns that revenue to the foreman that did the work. At the end of the year, we can see how much revenue each foreman earned. If the foreman beat their budgeted goal, then what we said of that number is, let's say, for example, they beat it by $50,000. They, they out-earned revenue by $50,000. Well, what we can say is this. We didn't have any extra overhead because they got more productive. So Mark would take overhead, which is roughly, let's just say 25%. So that would be $12,500 of, uh, of uh, overhead expenses that we didn't have. Need to split that with the foreman. So 50-50, or in some cases, a little heavier, a little lighter. Um, so at the end of the day, for and I'm just oversimplifying it for time, but at the end of the day, what we said is for every dollar you beat your sales goal by, you're going to get half of 20%, 25%. So it's about 12 and a half percent. Depends on what your overhead is, right? And you can do anything. I mean, this is one example of an incentive system, but to make it to make it simple, for every dollar they did over their sales goal, about 12 and a half percent of that was coming back to them in the form of a bonus. And so when you put that in front of it, and then you go back to the spreadsheet that I showed and said, like, look, there's easily 50, 60, 70, even more thousand dollars in unearned revenue that we're wasting with unbillable time. Uh, this is your bonus, right? There's $10,000 in your pocket if you can capture some of this stuff and away they would go. Some of them far more than that. So, uh, Just real quick, I know we are flat out of time. I'm over as I knew I would be. Uh, um, going forward, just if you're enjoyed sort of the concepts of today's session and you want to drill into it even deeper, Mark, the CEO of LMN and also who ran the landscape company that I was talking about. Uh, he's on the road, two-day mastermind sessions in person in uh, a number of cities across the states. I think it was like 12 uh, before the end of the year and there'll be a bunch more starting next year. But you can scan this QR code to see the schedule or you can go to golmn.com uh, slash workshops and see where we're gonna be and jump in. It's two days, it's awesome. It's like how to think about your company and build a growth plan for you and your people you won't regret going to those two days. I guarantee that. Um, next week, 
Matt, my uh, compadre over at uh, Greenius, he's going to do a 360-degree employment feedback uh, mastermind webinar. If you haven't registered for that, again, you can scan that code. The link is just above that, goelement.com slash mastermindweekly. And Matt will go through uh, how to drive better staff improvement by implementing a, an employee feedback cycle that engages and measures and motivates staff. And if you're at all interested in LMN, right now, Black Friday, probably the best deal that we'll have in the next 365 days. Right now, you're looking at three months free uh, and 50% off implementation fees. So it's like over $2,500 in savings. Um, it's an awesome deal. Like I said, Black Friday is always the best deal of the year. This is it. QR code there, goelmn.com slash BF is your Black Friday link. I want to thank everybody for joining us today. I want to apologize for going over budget again, uh, but I'll do better in the future. Uh, thanks, Brittany, for taking the questions. And again, if you have any questions, feel free to stick them in that chat. We'll get to them after. Uh, and if even if that doesn't happen, send them over. Send them to sales at goelmn.com or support it. They'll get to us and we'll get you those answers. Thanks again.